Welcome to the podcast of data and analytic in business. We will learn from the leading industry experts using data and analytics to solve the problems and create values in practice. We will also learn where the industry is heading to and how data and analytics will shape the industry in the future. Most importantly, how they are preparing their business for digital transformation and disruption in the future. I'm your host, Jason Tan, and thank you for listening. In this episode, we have got JJ Philip. JJ is the country manager for Alteryx in Australia and New Zealand. Alteryx itself is a software company that is currently listed in the New York Stock Exchange. JJ and I start the conversation talking about how one can start their career in data and analytics. He went dive on to share some really good advice when it comes to pick the job that you are offered that is beyond just the salary and the brand name of the company that you work for. More importantly, is the people who you could potentially find who could become your mentor and help shaping your career and help you to build up the career for years to come. As we move into the topic of data and analytics, JJ shared with us about the analytic process automation that he and Alteris are championing for, which subsequently opened up so much more question in terms of how an organization can best use their data and analytics. We then zero in about the analytic professional and the user in the organization, in specifically where the business user who has got this SME knowledge could now get their hands on in some really advanced analytic software without much of the coding knowledge. This bottom-up approach would really allow your frontline who have got all this SME to discover insight, solving problems, and create a better customer experience for your customer. If you are the C-level of a large enterprise, this is really one thing that JJ shared. I think is super important for us to think about. By upscaling and giving the tools to the business user, not only it is now speeding up the process of the discovery, solving problem, improving the business and experience uh, using the data and analytics, you could now have a lot more of your workforce could then tap on to the power of the analytics and the new oil, i.e. the data. Most importantly, though, you are also upskilling your business team and help them to continue to become more employable as they are advancing their career. If there is one question for us to take away from this interview, I would say the question is, how should we structure our organization in the future, i.e. the separation of the technical data scientists, IT team versus the business team? No doubt each of those people in the IT team and the hardcore data scientists would still have their role within the organization to solve some really challenging problem, but equally giving the power of the data to your business user would undoubtedly empower them to do a better jobs for their works. If you have any question for me and JJ, 
send us a voice message or send us an email. If you love more of this sort of episode, the use of data and analytics to power your organization, make sure you subscribe to the podcast with your subscription and encouragement will continue to bring you more of the case study and how the use of the data and analytics would help your organization to thrive. Please enjoy. Hello, JJ. Thank you and welcome to the Analytics Show podcast. I'm super excited to have you here today to talk about a few other things as well as some of the works that you do at the uh, Alteryx. Yeah, Jason, thank you for having me. Look, I'm a long-time listener, but first-time speaker, so I really excited myself to be here. Thank you so much for subscribing and listening to my podcast. I would love to hear some feedback after this. Now, let's get started in terms of a little bit of some of the works that you, your background, your history. I've been trying to do my research. I searched the internet. I searched the dark web. I searched everywhere. I literally even go to the <laughs> to the uh, National Archive to find files. But uh, there is very little info you share on LinkedIn that I would love to hear a bit more about yourself and your career. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your career and how did you get to where you are today? It's a great question. As a data professional, my data footprint is a little bit thin, I agree, but sometimes life gets in the road. I think in terms of my background, you know, I've spent the last 15 years in data and have a real passion for for data and and science. And I I came from a a scientific background, the study of human mind and its function, especially on on its behaviour and context. And and data science really tickles my fancy. I also think I've been blessed with some great mentors over the years. I started as a grad in in an organisation. It was actually an ERP company. They're been acquired a number of times. They're now in for systems, I believe. But Bruce Heron was my manager at the time. You know, this is going back a longer than what I care to remember. I was very privileged to be able to work in engineering. I was very privileged to be able to go out and do some consulting. I'm very privileged to look after customer success. And, and I really found my niche in sales and data from organizations like Alteryx, where I am today, but also organizations like EMC and Tableau and and Interwoven over the last 10, 15 years. I want to dwell into that, your mentor, a little bit. I often look back into my career. I felt that I was equally lucky to have someone that I could look up to and someone who was willing to mentor me. His name is Charles Pollard who really helped me to shape my whole understanding and how to build out the whole data and analytics and everything that we do this day. I suppose my question for you is for anyone who is starting out their career, I suppose to some extent, maybe it could be a little bit of luck because sometimes people don't necessarily have choice in those jobs they pick up. How would they pick and choose their job or career while equally having someone like you just mentioned that would help to to shape and mentor uh, their career so that it will be more beneficial uh, for them for years to come instead of the temporary, just a job and a pay job? Look, yeah, I think it's a tough one. I, I'm always honoured when I get asked to be a mentor and, you know, I mentor a couple of, a couple of humans and, and I really enjoy that experience. But if I look back 
and think about some of the people that I've worked with. They've, they've, they really have been complete diplomats and stewards of the industry from people like David Webster, the VP of EMC, to, to Craig Williams, to, to a whole host. Even Christian Chabot, the president and, and CEO of Tableau when I was there, great people that you just are drawn to in terms of their, their charisma, their gravitas, and you can kind of hang on all of the words that they're saying. And I look back and I think, did I did I walk through life with my eyes closed or was I just fortunate to have a mentor? But my big thing on life is I'm innately curious. I'm curious about anything and everything. And I think if you have that position, if you take that position about maximizing your curiosity, then I think there's a draw towards you and, and people. And it's human behavior. You know, I always seem to ask more questions and I'll try not to ask too many questions of you today, Jason. And I think you ask all these questions, you learn so much. And then I think people think, wow, like, yeah, he really got me. Really, in fact, you know, I learned more during that process. So my comment would be, always be curious and I think you will you will be drawn to and people will be drawn to you. And if you want a good mentor, find the people that you admire and that inspire you and and just go and ask. It's that simple. Just go and ask, hey, Jason, would you be my mentor? I love the work that you do. And if you walk through that, and I'd love to be able to replicate some of your success. People love that. And I think most people are, are genuine and giving of their time. So give it a go. I so agree. Now, you mentioned about the human behavior and also sales, which happened to be my favorite subject for the last three years, coming from the engineering, more of an introvert, coding, behind the scene kind of the guy. This is a subject that I find myself, especially human behavior. I suppose the question I have for you is, between sales and technology, which of the two do you enjoy and like the most? That's a really interesting question. I I don't know whether I see the contrast between that intersection of sales and technology and probably harks back to Bruce Heron all those years ago. He used to quote Archimedes. I, I think he may have said, give me a long enough lever and a fulcrum in which to place it and I can kind of move the world. And, and I, I think that's true. He used to say that we actually don't, we're not a software company. He said, we solve problems for people. And, and I think that is so right. Like, and if I have a look, if we take a Mason, which is a client of ours, well, in fact, they're one of our foundational customers in Australia, and Adrian Long, who was their BI manager at the time. So, Mason four or five years ago were in the middle of going public in that process and obviously processing lots of data to get financial incomes or financial outcomes to present to the ASX. All of their data was cloud-based, literally all of it. They used Altrix Designer and, and, and Server running on AWS. They built workflows on-prem and on-prem and they published them off-prem and they killed it. And they just figured out how to automate it, all of these complex financial reports. They went on to do pricing and margin optimization, predictive analytics to improve financial performance. But actually, I don't think we sold, sold to Adrian. I think we actually allowed Adrian to fall in love with Ultrix. And I like to think I'm a bit of a matchmaker in some ways to make people fall in, in love with something because they didn't want a new piece of technology, but they wanted to solve a, a business problem. And in fact, Adrian Long 
was, in fact, Adrian Long went on to become our very first Ultrix ace in APJ or, or Australia Pacific and Japan. And Ultrix ace stands for Ultrix Certified Expert. And because what he did with our platform was amazing and really I love what he did with our technology, but at the same time, I also love how Ultrix transformed him and his career and and the things that he went on to be able to do in his own life. So it's a difficult one, I think. I love how you can still remember Adrian's name, your very first client in the Ultrix. You remember his name so well and uh, all the things it does. I think that proves and shows the exceptional customer services that you possess. There's so much more I have to learn from that. I would have to pick your brain more on that. Now, let's dive more into specifically into your current professional. You are the country manager of the Ultrix. So what are your major duties and responsibility and uh, perhaps share with us some of the uh, accomplishments over the year since you joined Alteric? Oh, I'd love to. Well, firstly, we have a relentless focus on customer at Alteric. So job number one for Alteric is supporting customers on their analytic journey from beginning to end, from simple to sophisticated. My role really is to drive and implement that go-to-market strategy across Australia and New Zealand with an amazing team of associates who support that very mission. For me, there's been so many accomplishments, but I always think of, I think less about the accomplishments of being, I was the, the first person on the ground in Australia when it was myself with a laptop and a, and a computer and then to now having a fantastic office, which has been interesting with, with a global pandemic and not being able to use an office, having 30 plus associates in country from you know growing it over the last five years. It's it really has been pretty special. And and having our founders, Dean Stoker and Livy Dwayne Adams, have so much faith and trust in me to represent. The Ultrix brand has has been pretty special, but I'm a real people person. So my proudest moment, I think, was probably at our 2019 Nashville Inspire Conference. Our Inspire Conference for Ultrix is our global conference, and we get in, in Nashville. I think there are about five over five thousand data enthusiasts from around the world at, at this particular conference. I had the biggest smile on my face when Michael Tynus, who actually heads up the data science, or he headed up the data science team at Horizon Power over in WA, was up on stage with our founder and executive chairman, Dan Stoker, speaking about his journey and their journey. It was such an amazing experience. And in fact, Dean called out at that session. He, You can go and have a look at the recording. He calls out because he met an Australian chap that works for the National Broadband who brought his two sons to that conference. And his two sons also used Ultrix at different organizations from around the world. So, so it's like, that was really a really proud moment for me to find a gentleman from the National Broadband, make his way to, to Nashville, bring his sons who also had and used Ultrix. So I think they're the sorts of defining moments. And then trying to find them in a crowd of 5,000. It was the other thing, because it was my mission to go and find them and have a chat, So, <laughs> which is also challenging. Looking back at the time when you were the first person on the ground in Australia, as much as Outerix was a global company, did that scare you? And was there any particular person that you remember that was so supportive of your decision in deciding to join 
altering as a very first person in Australia? Yeah, I, look, I think I think there were so many. I mentioned Dean and Libby, our, our co-founders at Altrix, but even also locally, you know, Steve Hitchman from MIP, he was very supportive, industry stalwart. I call him the godfather of, of data warehousing for Australia. He probably doesn't like that term and it may not actually be the case, but it feels that way for me. So again, you know, it's just someone who was very, very supportive on, on my mission. And if you ever get an opportunity just to speak to Dean and Libby, our co-founders, they are so inspirational. And I think if Dean said to me, JJ, I think we want to give this up and I think we want to go and sell ice to Eskimos, I'd probably go and sell ice to Eskimos because he has that level of gravitas that you just want to make him proud of what you're doing and, and where you are. And he has this, I can't describe the energy he has for customers. It's exhausting. And that's our mission. Our goal is to be completely passionate about our customers. And we are. In fact, we were with a large financial institution in Australia and Dean and I were were going to visit the executives there and they had one of the users in the room. And when we walked in the room and we introduced each other, one of the users there gave our founder and CEO a big hug and a big cuddle. And she said, if I, the next time I have a baby, I'm going to name it Ultrix. And he had this smile from ear to ear. And he looked over at me and just gave me a nod. And he's like, you know, he sees this behavior all the time, no matter where he goes, whether he's in Europe or in Asia or back in North America or South America, he, you know, he would feel this and you get to see it in the faces and the, the joy that, that Ultrix brings to humans, whether it's they get their life back or whether it's they just fall in love with the technology. We really should have been a dating agency, I think, because we really have that pairing. I would love to lead Dean one day. Uh, hopefully that day will come sometime in the future. Now, just in case, if some of our audience who might not be familiar with it, would you offer a quick introduction to Alteryx, what the company does and what are your major services? Put simply, Alteryx is a leader in analytic process automation, what we call APA. Alteryx unifies analytics, data science, and business process automation in one end-to-end platform to accelerate digital transformation. We put that thrill back into problem solving, turning every data worker into a discoverer of marginal profitability for the enterprise. But here's why it's important. Think about why digital transformation fails or has failed in the past. We know the journey to digital transformation isn't really just a single approach. Instead, we should think of it as three transformations in one. So there's data, process, and people. Unfortunately, most organizations, there's often a lack of alignment, and we see all three of these existing in disconnected silos. So companies with deep investment in legacy data technologies nearly always have comparable, but I think less viable costs in the legacy process needed to maintain their business models. And this is often accompanied with legacy mindset as the culture hasn't adopted to market needs around customer focus or workforce needs around engagement and upskilling to meet those transformational challenges. So when your three core assets aren't aligned, this is the reason digital transformation fails in in my mind. And this is 
what stands in the way of delivering successful outcomes. So that unifying experience of analytics, data science, and business process automation in an end-to-end platform just resonates with so many people. Right. I suppose the very first question that often, it, well, at least it pop up in my mind, is that as you were describing the analytic process automation, my question for you or for the listener is, how is that different to the robotic process automation or the RPA? Yeah, so I think RPA automates high volume tasks that a human might do. So bots might collect data from non-API sources. Like think of green screens or screen scraping kind of activity, unstructured content or data that might want to validate and cross-reference data. It's you know that kind of traditional kind of manual data entry type of activity where someone's keying lots of data, tab, 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 keying more data, tab, 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 more data, tab, 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 et cetera. Now, what UiPath is a, is a technology alliance of ours, and one of those bots, one of those RPA bots, could trigger an automated analytic workflow and put that into a process within in Alteryx. And they may want to do a number of different things there. They may want to do some data quality and preparation. That could be the first thing, some drop and drag cleansing or blending. They may want to do some data enrichment geospatial, OCR recognition, NLP, inline descriptive analytics. They may want to then push this out to some data science and decision-making, whether that's code-free or code-friendly. And then RPA may want to, we may want to trigger another RPA bot and push that back into the RPA platform to publish, Altrice will publish to, to the RPA platform or publish to a third-party application where that information needs to go. So enriching that data and getting it from different sources. That is a really great way uh, to differentiate that. I suppose that also brought me into thinking about one of the major challenges in the data analytics, especially in the world that we live in today from uh, where lots of transactional activity are happening in the web, also more and more popular data that we are generating is that this massive amount of the unstructured data that web produce can the APA help in processing and analyzing this unstructured data? Oh, for sure. Text mining is basically equals human insight. There's no question about that. We see this in lots of different departments in organizations. So think about marketing or operations, financial services, sales, human resources, healthcare, banking, finance, and insurance, et cetera. You know, marketing, we're seeing them track competitive intelligence, managing their brand image on, on social media based on sentiment, operations, identifying root cause or operational issues from, from operator notes, voice recognition, financial services, again, detecting sentiment from customer interaction, healthcare, predicting insurance claim or fraudulent transactions, all of this through, through text mining. In fact, a couple of years ago, you may enjoy this story. In fact, I was presenting in um, to a number of public sector leaders down in Canberra around unstructured data. Because for me, I think we talk about unstructured data, but there is some structure in data in terms of the time that it went, the heading, et cetera. And what I wanted to prove to them was to, to demonstrate that there isn't a great deal of difference with a platform like Altrix for unstructured and, and unstructured data. So I grabbed all of the emails that my partner and I had sent to each other over the last 10 years. And I just restructured 
that to provide some structure. I pulled out all of the the hundred most common words that we use: the, because, and, ah, uh, etc. And I created a word cloud about he said, she said. Probably not the best data visualization, but it gave a really interesting representation about the high frequency words that we use in our day to day communication in email. But then what I did, I thought, I ran that through sentiment analysis using the Microsoft Azure platform and tracked sentiment of these emails over time using that. Now, we did this in about 15 minutes, but what was really interesting in doing that was your listeners may understand or may not understand that sentiment, you train sentiment over time. It's not something that it understands innately, but you could see in our sentiment analysis that journey over time peaks and troughs in our communication or sentiment. Things like birth of a child, death of a parent, moving house, buying a house, all of these peak hyper-emotional times in our life, you could, you could see it trending up or you could see it trending down. And that took all of about 15 minutes in Alteryx to grab all of that data over 10 years, a small word cloud, he said, she said, and then track it through sentiment analysis. We see some amazing things on text mining through our intelligence suite offering that we have here at Alteryx. Love that explanation. I think one of the things that I found as I was doing the research to prepare for this interview is that I understand that when it comes to Alteryx, you guys pride yourself as in terms of like as minimum coding as possible, no technical knowledge is required for the user to be able to assess all these uh, APA tools. But I suppose they were still required to get a bit of upscaling to get familiar with the new platform and the ecosystem, right? And also how the things are hanging around to be able to generate the predictive analysis or some of the works that they are trying to achieve. Yeah, I think I always say, if you're a frustrated Excel user, you're going to make a fantastic Alteryx user. A lot of our, our users come to us as, as frustrated Excel users and, and go on to, to do amazing things. We have an amazing community at Alteryx. In, in fact, I think there's literally about 250,000 impressions, every interactions on our community site every, every single month. And I, and I may have that number wrong, but it, it's an inordinate amount where, where customers are coming to that. Customers and even prospects are coming to that and, and sharing information, providing business outcomes and solutions for them. We have over 200 hours of, of, of free online training that people can use. We have what we call weekly challenges that people can go and actually test their, their skills and weekly challenges. And they start from novice to beginner to intermediate to, to advanced to, to crazy stupid ninja. I love kind of testing myself on that. And in fact, in response to the COVID pandemic, we actually announced a new program called, let me see if I get the acronym right, Advancing Data and Analytics Potential Together. Internally, we call it ADAPT. It's the newest pillar of our Ultras for Good program. Through ADAPT, graduates, unemployed data workers get granted 120 hours or 130 hours of, of free data science and analytic learning courses an Alteryx designer license, community access, support them on virtual one-on-one -on -one sessions with an Alteryx associate. Every graduate is certified in Alteryx fundamentals of data analytics through the Alteryx core, all the way through to a Udacity nano degree in predictive analytics. At the end of Q4 or the end of Q3, we had 11,000 people enrolled in this in terms of upskilling their nature in the ADAPT program across 130 different countries with, I don't know what the latest numbers are, but we had 76 ADAPT graduates complete the program in full. 
And we have a number that have gone on to get re-employed in the force or to even boost their skills in that space. But again, it comes back to curiosity and, and people's propensity to want to take on information and, and learn. I, Jason, I'm a terrible coder, terrible, terrible coder. When we have, and God bless them, you know, people that want to talk about left inner joins and right inner joins, and I kind of get lost and my coding is is terrible. What I love about Ultrix, um, and I've got a couple of uh, Python and, and R developer friends, really good friends, in fact, and I can do what they can do in Python and R, and I eat them for lunch. Then I make fun of them. Now, I'm not making fun of the work that they do, but it's I just don't need that. You know, not everyone can be a programmer. Not everyone has that skill. I don't have to understand the deep data engineering concepts and what I love about Ultrix is we have a, again, with our, with our technology and our intelligence suite, is the ability to take people onto that data science journey. There was a, a Gartner, I think it was a Gartner or Forrester research paper back in a couple of years ago now, where it talked about, so back in 2015, they said they had around 300 million business users. So think Excel, I suppose. There were probably 20 to 30 million kind of advanced spreadsheet users or SQL programmers and a million data scientists. Now, this is where it gets a bit hairy because a million trained data scientists. Now, if you subscribe to the notion that a data scientist is a PhD kind of led individual, then there's a million of them. Clearly not enough to answer the world's biggest problems and for organizations. So they come at a premium price. But what they were saying is fast forward to 2025, there's probably going to be 350 million business users. And this emerging space of you know 50 million plus kind of citizen data scientists. And if the universities do what they say they're going to do based on some forward planning, we may have between two and three million trained data scientists in that space. So we have to take people on a journey to help them upskill to become citizen data scientists. We want people to be able to run their own machine learning and data science models and teach them how to do that. And the intelligence suite within Altry can do that in terms of following a very guided process so that at the end of their model, at the end of that model creation and curation, They've got some documentation that they can get, take and say, here's what I believe. I think we can get a, an 8% uplift in our credit card application processing with this particular model. I think we can reduce fraud by 5% by doing it in this particular way and then be able to then move that into a, a production environment within an organization. I think there was a really numbers of important points to take away for what you just say. I think primary. I want to break it down into two and uh, come back to each of them, especially when you talk about the citizen data scientists. And in fact, is how can these people, the citizen data scientists who are in, more in the business area, can take advantage of the, the powerful capability of all of these analytic platforms? But I'm going to come back to that one just in a sec. Instead, I want to focus on continue to this question in terms of the uh, upskilling within the organization. I thought that is is interesting when I look back to my journey is that I remember that I used to have to attend the some of those uh, training courses that cost probably about $1,500 
a day. <laughs> there we go there for a week. Obviously, I did enjoy the, all the free lunch that they threw in, etc. But uh, it's amazing that now more and more software vendors are building up all of these online courses to help upskilling. And often, like you say, what you guys do at the Alteric is even just giving it away for free. The question I have for you then is that from the organization perspective, like that is this financial services company, how should they try to incorporate some of these material and the free courses that is available out there at the same time in terms of the material and the courses, the training that they have internally, how should they incorporate two together to build up proper upskilling plan for their employee? Especially I would imagine that all and many software vendors are going to say, well, come and do our courses. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. Look, I, I have this really basic kind of immature thinking. I always say to people, step one, be curious. Step two, join the Altrix community. Step three, choose your Altrix adventure. You're, you're training in a learning adventure. But I've been schooled by our customers. So I think about Fiona Gordon, who's the head of strategy at JLL and, and a customer of ours. She's created for her team throughout JLL across the globe is what she calls the ultra adventure. And it's really this gamification of people's journey and learning. So it's a combination of the module that you want to do on the Alteryx website. So that's number one. Get through those. Do this and I take this, this particular learning and then apply it in the business. So they take what they've learned and they apply it to a business problem that they have. So there's that immediate kind of action that they have. You know, they have some, no doubt, they have some internal courses that they run internally, train the trainer type of activities. So I just love that concept of gamification. She also runs events. And in fact, John, which is one of her staff members, won our Ultrix Grand Prix. Our very first Ultrix Grand Prix in Australia, we had hundreds of people register to participate. And it was really, we had about, I think, a thousand people at the event down in Darling Harbour where they raced to build an outcome. So we gave them a set of information and he was able to apply what he learned through the Ultrix adventure and just smash the competition. Absolutely smash them. It was fantastic. So I think organizations have to be pragmatic. People learn in different ways. People learn themselves through curated online journeys, like an Ultrix adventure. They learn in classroom environments. They learn through their peers. They learn through seeing and doing. But it really comes down to a change plan. But organizations are doing it far better than my three-step plan of be curious, join the community and, and pick your adventure and pick your learning. So, you know, I think it's about recognizing once you've learned something, putting it into practice. And that way you kind of see it, you do it, you apply that learning. I can so relate to that gamification of the learning. One of the uh, software as a service product that I have, we actually incorporate that gamification into the whole journey so that people would be more incentivized and more invested into the learning. And part of that, like you were saying, that everyone learns differently. So we then train uh, all different types of uh, format for them to learn, whether it's a video, it's an audio, or it's a text, maybe a short text or a long text. It's so much more to think, especially to incorporate that human behavior, which is why I say it's my favorite subject. I want to touch on that citizen data scientist. I think, like you say, there are more, way more users in the business area who can actually tap into the power of the analytics. 
And in the old days, they often had to go to the IT team or had to go to the analytic team, or perhaps they even had to go to the actuaries to be able to get the data and all the understanding. But with the advancement of the technology, there are just so much more. I think even just compared to five years ago, there are just so much more tech companies that are now building and providing the no-code tools or the software. So I actually think it's really a great thing to help bring more analytic capability into the business team. I suppose the question I have for you is then, do you expect to see more convergence coming together between the uh, technical analytic and the business team? Where is that going to sit in the future? Look, I think if I take a back step and think about that from a vendor point of view, I think that we should all expect to see both convergence and consolidation in a market space. Look at Alteryx market consolidation. We acquired Symantra a number of years ago for data cataloging and governance to help support that journey. We acquired Hat, specializing in data science, development, management, and, and deployment. Clear story, feature labs, the list goes on. But I think now and now, people entering the workforce, hark back 20, 30 years ago, Everyone now has a laptop sitting on the desk or a PC sitting on the desk. This didn't happen many years ago. I'm always amazed at how many people work in IT. But I think it's this business technology that what they're really referring to. I love it when my, my grandmother asked me if I could if I could show her how to use a laptop. I said, well, I'm not sure I can. I'm not sure I'm that type of in, invested in, in that. But, you know, you look at innovators like Steve Jobs and, and the iPad and what that allowed people to do in terms of just switching that on. I talked about Alteryx, that thrill of solving and, and making everyone discover of marginal profitability for the business. That's what Alteryx provides. And you, you will see this rationalization or consolidation. So think about how people might come to Alteryx. They may come to Alteryx because they're frustrated in Excel. That might have a got a million row limit or whatever the frustration is, they're missing data, however that looks. So, they might start their journey there. I just see Forrester did a report recently that said Alteryx actually can replace up to five or six different legacy technologies. So, they might start their journey at a, at a simple data prep paradigm, but it continues through the analytic continuum for them. So, it might be data prep and blend that they start with. They may then want to move on to descriptive analytics. And then from descriptive analytics, they may look at temporal analytics or spatial analytics. Where do those transactions happen? Or before they move on to say machine learning, you know, machine learning or prescriptive machine learning and AI, and they can move through that journey. So, and I think you'll see that more and more. I, I don't think, I was reading a book on the industrial revolution. And what really interests me in the industrial revolution is one of the most significant roles in the Industrial Revolution was what we would call that person today the chief electrification officer. This was the person responsible for making sure that they had electricity in the plant. Now, electricity is so ubiquitous, we don't even think about turning on a switch. This is what data will be in the future. The concept of CIOs and CDAOs may not exist in 15, 20 years from now because data will be such a ubiquitous part of, of what we do on a day-to-day basis, informing us of our past and helping guide us to our future. Indeed, I think it really got me thinking on the other side of the token, what does it mean then for the people 
who study the data science, who are in the IT, because part of a lot of those jobs have now disappeared because as we are moving into the cloud, <laughs> some of those jobs have already disappeared. As we are moving into that path with all this no code, do we really need the hardcore data scientist and an IT person? <laughs> well, that's not for me to answer. I, I think yes. But I think what will happen is there will be they will become more and more of a commodity. The price point for a data scientist will come down as we upskill other humans in the market to, to get closer and closer to them. You ask a data scientist if they enjoy doing data prep and blend. Data prep and blend is not a fun task and it takes up 80, 90% of what someone does. Even in fact, think about the data visualization space. 80% of what they're doing is data prep and blend. They're restructuring and pivoting data so people can see data and view it in a, in a very different format. It's time consuming. It's even more time consuming for data scientists. Now, if data scientists could push that manual work down to the business analysts or get that data from the business analyst in the format and the data set that they require, imagine how much more productive that they will be. They become more and more productive. And I, I think you will see this in the automation of that process. So if you think about harking back to analytic process automation, we want that data piece, making sure that that's correct, there's the people piece, which we've spoken about in terms of upskilling. And then there's that process, improving that process, whether that process is, is that data prep and blend or whether it's getting a data science model from creation, curation, training, productionized, and, and going through the iterations or versions. I think that's where they'll become more and more important in the future. I don't think there'll be less of them. I think there'll just be more of them. Great stuff. Now, coming back to this analytic process automation, Share with us some of the real-life use cases and the practical result from the APA implementation at what front, what sort of the business that get most benefit from this APA? Great question. We often look at it in terms of four major impact zones. There's transforming business outcomes. So organizations are thinking top-line growth or bottom-line returns. We have a top three passenger airline that we were able to give them an $80 million return to their bottom line by analyzing their unused reward and customer loyalty programs that were never going to get used. We have a top five retailer doing daily merchandising optimization in you know, 2,000 stores around the world on 100% of their merchandise. It was an increase of $1.5 billion to their top line growth. So we see that. And I, I think there's more and more that we, we see American British Tobacco extended their footprint with Ultrix that included server last year. They generated a $9 million return in just one year by automating that analytic process. That's at the big end of town. And then if you think about the small end of town, Hawker's Beer. So Hawker's Beer is a fiercely independent microbrewery um, here in Australia. They've got this unconditional commitment and unwavering thing to making sure that they spread flavoursome beer. They recently took on to leverage the our APA platform to enhance customer profitability and predict customer lifetime value, combining customer and sales data with predictive analytics to gain insight into who's their most likely and best customer. So from the very large organizations to the very small organizations, they're getting those top line and bottom line types of transformation. But actually, 
We also see non-economic benefits. And Raju, and I won't murder his surname, and if he listens, I, I do apologise, Raju. He's the um, CIO at Catholic Education in Parramatta. He was at our Inspire conference. He was he was running a session there, and I think there were probably half the room were almost in tears when he was talking about this story. Sure, they use Ultrix to to find top line growth and bottom line growth and upskilling resources, but as they were looking through the data and, and doing some analysis on my data, that they found a child in the early parts of his education that had stopped coming to school on a Tuesday. So it kind of triggered them, and you know, a student who was doing quite well and whose grades were in decline and stopped coming to school on a Tuesday. And that was an outlier in this particular data set for this class and this school. So the school called the parents to find out what the situation was. And what they learned was that this particular child came from a single parent family They didn't have a lot of money at the time and they couldn't afford to buy the right school shoes. And the last time he had sports day, children are cruel because they they like to find differences and he didn't have the right sports shoes and wore his black school shoes and he just didn't want to be bullied. And so Tuesdays was was a real problem for him going to school. So the school got together and bought him a new pair of shoes, the right shoes for him to for him to start going to school because he was really missing 20% of his school life not going to school on a on a sports day. It was such a touching and moving story and it's one that has kind of stuck with me in terms of this is more than just organisations extending their returning profit to their shareholders. But imagine the impact data had unwittingly on this child's education for the rest of his schooling. Raju and his data science team and his analytics team were able to spot an outlier in the data set and rectify it. It really is, I think, one of the nicest stories that, that I've heard from Alteryx. I really love that story. Not only that is so touching, but uh, how it actually solve a problem that doesn't just involve a monetary transaction that making the organization more profitable. Not, there's nothing wrong with that, but I love this sort of story, uh, how it helps to improve the society as well. One thing that I do pick up from that sharing the story is in the old days, even just back in the 10 or 15 years ago, Analytic was uh, seen as the toy or the tools only for the people in the the bigger town, like your large corporate, your listed company, your banking, your big four, Uh, even to some extent your tier two or tier three banking may not necessarily get into the game of the analytic. But with the advancement, again, with the technology and also all these sort of tools are coming out, it seems to be democratic way more. And I often hear a story like these one person company started uh, the company and uh, they will be able to use this sort of the analytic tools to help their client or even uh, help their organization. Do you see more and more? I I suppose the answer is yes. So it's a stupid question. (laughs) But I suppose what do you think can continue that trend in getting more people and organization to be investing in data analytics in your analogy where data is just like electricity. (laughs) We don't even think about it. What do you think will continue to contribute into that whole trend 
Look, I think you nailed it. It's the democratization of data that is really driving that momentum. And I think, and you think about where, where cloud computing, you know, we're still going to live in a hybrid cloud for, for some time. There's going to be some on-prem, there's going to be some off-prem, there's going to be this hybrid cloud from here, there, there and everywhere. Data's going to be exactly the same. Data, we're increasing our d- digital footprint on a daily basis, and that continues to grow. And I think as organizations start to realize but it really is at the line of business. And look, no disrespect to IT because they're busy running infrastructure, but it's the line of business that actually have, you think about how businesses run, that was this, I call it anecdotal analytics. They kind of had this gut feel that, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've got this gut feel this is going to be right. So we should kind of do this. Well, now those individuals can take that gut feel and actually turn it into a data-driven decision. And now there are tools that are available to those particular humans to be able to drive those outcomes. Imagine what it was like five years ago. So, okay, so you get asked by your boss or your boss's boss to complete a particular task. And you're like, yep. And you've got to go out and you've got to get the information from, you might go out to, to Salesforce. You may then have your ERP system. That could be anything from SAP, Oracle, Microsoft. And then they want to overlay that with some third-party data for whatever reason. And it's like, so now you've got all of this data and it's more than a million rows. Well, I'm not a data person. I don't know how to bring Salesforce data and SAP data and how do I merge that with enriching this data? So then guess what I had to do? I then had to give it to, hand it across to someone in IT and I go, yep, this is what I want. Can you do that? Yes. And went to an SQL programmer or a coder and they couldn't give you that back straight away because they had that maybe had 50 tasks or 100 tasks or you can imagine the global 2000 companies have thousands of, of those types of requests so they would give you that information and then two weeks later or three weeks later or four weeks later whenever you kind of whittled your way down in that queue that you, they handed that information back to you and you look it up you're excited wow okay it's not really what i asked for if you're lucky, it is, but you're still three weeks behind the eight ball and then you've got that data and you're like, you know what, I'll just make two. And then you're kind of going through, well, that data is now three weeks old. It's not what it was three weeks ago. So you're making these decisions. There's a lag in from decisioning to business impact. We can see with Alteryx almost immediate impact in, in some of that business decisions where they, you can get insights in, in minutes and hours, not weeks and months. And I think that's why the business and businesses are, are investing in the line of business to be able to do this type of work. I love it. I think that makes a lot of sense and uh, it really articulates well in terms of some of the frustration that the businesses are facing. But equally, I think that explains so much why Alteryx is uh, making inroads in terms of the business area so much more than uh, some of the software vendors that I know of. Would that be a reasonable way to say that? Look, I, look I'm, a, I'm an Alteryx patriot, so I absolutely believe that. We've got close to 40% of the global 2,000 companies using us, and that's really happened. And, you know, we listed on the, the New York Stock Exchange on March 24, 2017, and there's been this rapid rise. 
Dean Stoker actually says, you know, I, I've asked him once, I said, did you ever think you would list on the New York Stock Exchange? He said, I just, he said, I did. I just didn't think it was going to take so long. He said, I feel like this overnight success, but it's been a long journey in terms of understanding that, that market space. 7,000 customers in, in 130 different countries around the world. We've got offices here in all kind of four corners of of the earth, you have 250,000 plus kind of impressions on our on our community, you know there's something to that. You know there's something special. And I think it's that drive for, for customer first. How could it not? And when you simplify it for, for individuals, when you're taking individuals on a, on a journey and you don't start off with the concept that they know everything. And I think what's beautiful about the elegancy, I suppose, of, of Ultrix is to make the complex simple is extremely difficult. And I think this is why organizations often fail. But when you make it so elegant and beautiful and simple, it resonates with people. It resonates with what they can do. Ultrix, I think, works the way people think. And I think that also accelerates that growth. And I think there's a bit of FOMO with Ultrix. It's the fear of missing out. We see that in organizations all the time. You know, we're seeing it in large corporations where one of the big four consulting firms that look after management, tax, audit, et cetera, they've upskilled 50,000 people across the world in Alteryx. One of the top 50 global banks have upskilled 2,000 people in Alteryx. I know those large banking institutions are scared not to have Alteryx. And the reason that they're scared not to have Alteryx is because their skill set People want to go where their new skill sets will be utilized and they want to make sure that they can be employable in three months' time, six months' time, 12 months' time, two years' time down the track. So they want to have that. They want to have experience on latest platforms that is helping craft insight and delivering performance to an organization. They want to have a real meaningful conversation. That's amazing. Now I'm going to conclude this interview with my last two go-to question. Uh, number one is, what is your most important first principle? I would say it's curiosity. Always ask questions. I'm surprised, Jason, that I haven't asked you more questions. I think you've got a free ride today. So uh, <laughs> maybe we, we will catch up for uh, lunch or a beer so I can actually ask you all of my questions. Yeah, so that for me would, would be interesting, but I, I would definitely say it would be curiosity would be the thing for me. I've got questions. You did a, a session with, I think it was Philip Conway? Yes, and, you know, Tim Johnson, you know, the future and president of automation. I've got thousands of questions for you on, on just those two podcasts alone. So <laughs> curiosity for me is my very first principle. I love it. Curiosity is important for me. Often when I interview people, I try to assess for that as well. I still haven't quite figured out the way to assess for that curiosity. I suppose perhaps based on the question and the type of the question they ask is how I I measured it. Is that the way that you measure the curiosity? <laughs> I don't think I have a way of measuring curiosity. I think people have a way of measuring their curiosity by the uh, the rapid succession of uh, questions that, that kind of come their way. But there has to be a level of genuine authenticity around those questions. If you and I started asking you questions around paint colour, may not seem particularly genuine, but you've had some pretty interesting speakers come through so, you know, understanding a little bit more about that and even even how your podcast got started on that data. So thank you. Well, Philip Conway and Tim Johnson absolutely share some really great insight in terms of some of the work that they do with the automation, um, payroll pricing, uh, some really great works in there. 
anyone who haven't listened, give them a plug, <laughs> a special plug while we are here. Uh, go and listen uh, so much more. Now, my final question for you is, uh, what is one book that you have read that you thought it would have been better for your younger self to have? Oh, tough question. I love reading. I've just finished reading The Spy and the Traitor by Ben McIntyre. So if you haven't read it, you should. It's a cracking book. It's about the double life of a KGB insider recruited by MI6 back in the 70s and 80s. What would it teach me about my younger self? The theme for me, obviously, this was a, you know, Olog Gordievsky is the uh, protagonist, I suppose. He was very principled. Most spies or double agents do it for the money, but he actually did it for principle. So be principled, um, be disciplined. But the thing that caught my eye in this book was actually don't overcomplicate a situation. We go through life and we overcomplicate situations all too much. I also read recently The Count of Monte Cristo. You know, we're talking about how we, we always read books that fascinate us. And I, a friend of mine recommended The Count of Monte Cristo. It was written back in the 1800s by Edmund Damas. And again, this is around adversity and a little bit of vengeance. It's not my thing. But the message for me there is, again, don't, overcom don't overcomplicate a situation. You've kind of got to go with it. Edmund Dante in that book, that's exactly what he did. He had to, he had to roll with the punches sometimes. Love it. Gonna have to check out that book. I just watched a Netflix series talking about spy and various things that what motivate people to become spy or even <laughs> to be to turn in to, to help the spy. So I can see some of those things coming from. Thank you so much, JJ, for coming on to this show and share with us generously with uh, everything about the APR, some of the people, how they can really get success with the analytic uh -huh. without necessarily have the hardcore technical skills as a data scientist. Love it so much. Thank you so much again for this. Thank you, Jason. Really appreciated being invited. Mm -hmm.